you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. We are uh, in the midst of a series, actually, as a church. You might have been able to guess it from that video that we just showed you, uh, looking at the Gospel of John. We've been here for quite a while. Actually, we launched this a year ago today, and I am happy to say we are remaining faithful to what we said uh, last year. We're still here. We are still uh, marching through the Gospel of John. Uh, We're excited to do so. Amen? Four of you, I believed. Um, but no, we're making our way through the Gospel of John, and I'm excited to be able to, to open up God's Word and to teach uh, once more today through this amazing book. Um, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good day to be in the house. I'm excited to eat good food. Are you excited to eat good food? I promise I'll stop talking about food now because uh, it's just going to make you want to keep eating it. So uh, yeah, we, we're, we're in this book. Uh, if, you, if, you've, if you're familiar kind of with the Bible uh, you, you, you may know this, you may not if you're not. Uh, the Bible's predominantly divided up into two big sections, the Old Testament and the New. You guys are good. Uh, the New Testament, uh, the, the Old Testament predominantly dealing with uh, one family that became a people that became a nation. And uh, the New Testament predominantly dealing with Jesus and his coming, his coming to earth in fulfillment of God's promise to address the core issues of humanity and to deliver us into the presence of God. So, so we've been kind of diving into the New Testament portion of, of the Bible. And the, the New Testament starts with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, I bring that up because, and guys, my slides aren't working this morning either, so just to have super fun. This is fantastic. We're a well-oiled machine around here is essentially what I'm trying to say. Um, no, but the, the, the Gospel of John is unique amongst the other four Gospels. Uh, John has a unique perspective. He, he has a unique goal in his Gospel because he said he didn't write uh, his Gospel, his account of the life of Jesus, so that you would know about Jesus' life. He tells us in his book, that he wrote the gospel so that you might come to believe in Jesus, that you might come to put all of your faith and all of your hope and all of your trust into Jesus, that you would believe he is who he said he is, that he came to do what he said he came to do, that he accomplished it, and through that, we can have life in him. And so John starts his gospel in John chapter one by revealing to us uh, the nature of Jesus, by showing us Jesus' supremacy and his deity, that he is God. He proves to us uh, through his, his beginning by saying that God uh, was, was, was Jesus, that Jesus was God, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is unique amongst religions. We don't teach that our, our, our Savior uh, is some elevated human, that he figured stuff out and is now teaching it to us. Rather, we believe that Jesus is God. He's not an elevated man. He's not a sent man. He is God. Scriptures also teach us that he's not like God, he's not familiar with God, he's not acquainted with God, he is God. He is God. That's who Jesus is, and that he is better than everything, amen? 
And then John moves on in his gospel to, 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 to show how Jesus engages with the culture and begins to f- call disciples. And he does this in a weird way. He calls the unqualified, the overlooked, and the outcasts. And he calls them to be his disciples. He does this in what seems weird to us. If you've ever read the gospels or heard the story of Jesus, it might seem weird to us. He walks up to people and he simply says, follow me. Now, this seems weird to us, right? I mean, if some dude walked up to you off the street and was just like, follow me, you'd be like, no. <laughs> and that would be, for you, the right answer. Um, but in this culture, this was the way rabbis, or what we would call teachers, or maybe life coaches, this is how they, they called their disciples. They would just simply walk up to them and they would say, follow me. What makes this odd is that that, that process typically happens. You were typically called by a rabbi when you were between the ages of 10 and 12, maybe 13. And these guys were much older than that. Some would say as young as 16 or 17, some would say in their early 20s. But either way, that opportunity to have a rabbi call you to follow him, which was in this society the highest calling you could have, that opportunity had already passed them by. And yet Jesus comes and reaches out to these that have already been outcast. They've already been overlooked. They've been told that you're not good enough, you're not qualified enough, and yet that's who Jesus calls to follow him in this disciple-rabbi relationship. Now, the disciple-rabbi relationship is not like relationships we have today. There's nothing really equivalent to it because the disciple would have then began to do exactly what the rabbi said, to follow him. Not just once a day, not just once a week, not just a little bit of the time, but constantly all the time. A, a disciple's whole mission and whole goal would be to be as much like their rabbi as they possibly could be. They would want to learn how to walk like them, talk like them, eat like them, think like them so that they could be like their rabbi. And that's what these guys would have engaged in. They would have abandoned everything. They would have abandoned their families, their careers, their good businesses, their, their, their potential future life, and they would have simply laid it all down to follow after Jesus as their rabbi. And so Jesus begins a, a ministry. He starts baptizing people, and rather the, the scriptures tell us he doesn't really baptize, but he calls his disciples to baptize people, and crowds begin to gather, and, and things really seem like they're starting to take on some steam, and at the height of success, Jesus leaves. He abandons all of that, and he, he goes to another place. He, he leaves this wonderful, uh, successful ministry he's having, and he goes to an unexpected place to meet an unlikely woman to reach an unpopular people. We've been looking at this account for several weeks now of of this dialogue that Jesus has with an unnamed woman. We simply know her as the woman at the well. She's got a past. She's got a history. She's not the kind of person that you would expect a religious teacher to be hanging out with. Scripture reveals to us that she has had five husbands and now she's just living with the guy. At the time, this would have put her on the same level as maybe a prostitute today. She would have been shunned by society. She would have been rejected by her peers. She would have been that lady. No one really would have wanted to talk to her, and yet Jesus engages with her. He's trying to show us here that Jesus is not a tourist. He's not God come down to earth to just kind of see what this whole thing is about. He's also not seeking popularity and fame. He is is on a mission. He's like the Blues Brothers. He's on a mission from God. He's on a mission, and he's, he's on a mission to, to bring redemption to this place and to these people and to this woman. And so he engages in a conversation with her, and they begin to dialogue and talk. And what he eventually ends up doing is teaching her what it means to really know God and to really worship him. 
So she, he begins to engage with her and, and works through all of her issues and in just one conversation brings her to a place where she recognizes who he really is or she sees his true identity and she engages with that and she then runs back into her village and tells everybody. She goes back into the same place that she's been trying to avoid and she, she lovingly declares to them this amazing encounter she's had with God. And that now brings us to this place in the story that we're gonna pick up. We're not gonna read a lot of the scriptures this morning, but, but I wanted to kind of get you there so you knew where we were. So if you've got a Bible and you wanna go to John chapter four, verse 39, John chapter four, verse 39, and if you would stand for the reading of God's word, that would be awesome. Uh, we don't stand to make you uncomfortable. We don't stand to make you feel awkward. We don't stand so you can get just a few more steps in on your Fitbit. We stand, though it does do that, um, all of that, it makes you uncomfortable, <laughs> Fitbit. Um, but we stand because we believe that this is the living, breathing word of God, amen? We love the Bible, amen? We love the scriptures. We, we love it because, because it's, 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 it's leather and it smells good. By the way, for those of all the millennials in the room, the Bible is now available in printed form. You, you don't just have to have it on your phone. They decided to start printing it on paper, which is this amazing product made from the trees that we kill. And, um, but it's worth it. I gotta stop. Um, this is what happens when my wife isn't in the front row. All right, John chapter four, verse 39. We stand to show reverence and honor to God's word, amen, because it's what shows us Jesus, right? John chapter four, verse 39 says, many Samaritans, that's the, the area that Jesus went to, that's the people that he's reaching, many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Who is him? Come on, who is him? Jesus, who we're talking about here is Jesus. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's what she went out and told them. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his words. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray together this morning, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you for, for it in printed form or it in digital form. We don't care, God. We just thank you for your word. We thank you that you have watched over your word and preserved your word and delivered your word to us. We thank you that we have now heard your word read publicly we ask that, that in the reading and in the expounding and in the teaching and in the unpacking that you would do that thing that you do and you would breathe life upon it, that you would make it come alive in our hearing, that you would deliver a word straight to our hearts that we might hear what you would have to say to us this morning. God, show us how it is that, that this, this book, this text, this story, this account, this this, this encounter that these people had that we now have record of from some 2,000 years ago, how it stretches beyond and through time and reaches us today in a unique way that reveals to us some things about the way we ought to respond, the way we ought to live, the way we ought to behave, the way we ought to believe. God, we celebrate you today. We ask that you speak to our hearts, that we would receive what it is that we hear, God, that we would allow your word to go deep within our hearts, transforming the way we perceive and process information and life. 
that you might be glorified, that you might be exalted. God, that we might know the good that comes from walking in obedience and faith. God, and this world might look a little more the way you designed it because your people live a little more the way you call them to. God, grant repentance and faith this day. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? High five like six people and grab a seat. This morning, I want to try to dive into our text and, and look at this as, as quickly as we can because I know there, there is food out there. Um, but I will, I will warn you, I had a couple of the cooks come to me because they're making it fresh and they said, can you not preach too short today because we need enough time to make sure the meat's done. So, so if I go over, it's their fault, not mine. No, I'm, I'm aware that at some point in history, we decided that you could only preach a certain length. I personally wish that we could just go back to do it biblically and I could just preach till one of y'all falls out a window and dies. But uh, I won't do that. So, now I wanna talk to us this morning and look at these Samaritans. We looked a lot at the, the woman at the well, but I wanna look now and, and shift our attention to the Samaritans as, and look at them as a picture of really uh, how we come to meet Jesus, how we meet Jesus. How do we meet Jesus? How do we come to that place? How do we meet Jesus? If you're taking notes, you can keep that as your title, how we meet Jesus. Look at these Samaritans as a type, as a picture for us of how we all come to meet Jesus. The first thing I want us to see is this, that they, they heard testimony about Jesus. These, 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 these people, they, they heard testimony from Jesus, but they heard it from a very unlikely messenger. They heard it from a very unlikely messenger. I need us to understand that, that in order for, for us to meet Jesus, one of the primary means by which we do that is, is, is Jesus will send people into our lives to testify to us about him. This might be a friend, this might be a coworker, this might be your neighbor, this might be one of your children or your grandma or your grandpa or a random person on the street or heaven forbid, some dude on TV. But regardless, Jesus is gonna bring somebody into your life to testify of, who he, of him, to tell you about him. And, and, and he loves you enough to do this. He loves you so much that he's not gonna leave you to wonder who God is. He's not gonna leave you uh, because of his love to wander around trying to find him because in reality, you're not looking for him, he's looking for you. And he loves you enough to send somebody into your life to testify about him. And you might not get to pick the messenger. Talk to a believer and, and, and they'll tell you, talk to somebody who's following Jesus and they'll tell you that they might not have really liked the person, come on somebody, that led them to him. We don't always get to pick who it is that God chooses to send our way to introduce us to him. And yet we know that it's in his love and in his grace that he does so. And I think part of the reason why he uses unlikely messengers is because, listen to me please, it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. I'm gonna say that again. It's not about the messenger, it's about the message. 
See, like or dislike the messenger doesn't really matter. You have to deal with the message. You have to deal with the reality, the truth, the, the, the depths of the message. This woman comes and she simply says, come and meet Jesus. And I'm gonna here to tell you, 2,000 years later, that's our message. Come and meet Jesus. We're not interested in peddling religion or church attendance or some political party or some moral improvement program. We are here right now to tell you, to plead with you, to cry out to you, to meet Jesus, the real Jesus, not the Jesus of your imagination, not the Jesus of pop culture, not the, the, the Jesus of, of religion, but the actual, real, flesh and blood Jesus who walked, who talked, who saved, and who is still saving today. We're here to tell you to meet Jesus. We do this by the message of the gospel. If you've got a Bible, I wanna go to one other passage this morning because I think this is the, the most concise, clear way I can I can teach us the gospel. This, I, wanna, I want you to hear the message. If we're talking about how we meet Jesus, I want you to hear the message. It's, it's the message of the gospel. Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three. For me, this is, this is the foundation upon which my understanding of the gospel flows. John, or sorry, Romans chapter three, verse 21. It says, but now, when? Now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law or apart from a religious observation or apart from some external set of rules or apart from some sort of uh, organized structure by which if you follow these rules, then you can be right with God. He says, no, the righteousness or right standing with God has been manifest, shown to us away from, apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of the divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me just quickly try to summarize this. Essentially what, what, what Paul, the writer of Romans, is trying to tell us is this. All of us have chosen both by, by choice and by chance by omission and by commission, to, to, by, by what we do wrong and by what we fail to do right, to reject and rebel against God. We essentially say this, I can figure out what's right and wrong for myself. I can choose what I should do and what I shouldn't do based upon some internal set of, of just moral compass through what I've been taught by my parents, through what society has said is right and wrong, or by what just feels good. I can choose that for me. And the Bible actually tells us that's actually rebellion and rejection of God because he's the creator and sustainer of all things and he and he alone desires to be the one to teach us what it is that we ought to and what we ought to not do. He wants to be in a relationship with us, loving and leading us in all things. We reject and rebel against him. The Bible calls this sin. And it separates us from our, 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 our heavenly father. It separates us from God. It, it removes us from that relationship with him. 
and makes us objects of judgment. And so, so God not being satisfied, leaving us separated from him and as, as, as objects of his judgment, chooses, come on, to make a way through Jesus, a propitiation, chooses to make a substitute and say, you know what? Jesus would be God and he would come down and be born in human flesh and live a life, not as a tourist, but as a missionary. And he comes down and he lives a perfect life in perfect obedience to the Father showing us perfectly who God is and what the Father is like. He then, he then chooses to die a perfect death in complete submission and obedience to the Father, bearing the weight of our sin. He is buried and he raises again to prove that his death was not like our death, but his death was actually a triumphant death, winning over the enemies of our soul, winning over the battle that we are engaged in, whether we realize it or not, freeing us from the place of judgment, dealing with sin, overcoming our enemies. He rises eternally triumphant. Come on, somebody. And he then offers to us the ability through faith, through trust, through belief, to be united with him both in his death and in his resurrection, and in his new life. So we die with him, we are buried with him, and we raise to life with him. This is what we celebrate in baptism. If you've never been baptized, we're gonna be baptizing some people soon. There's a sign-up sheet over there. We'll, go, we'll dunk you under, we promise. You sign up, we will dunk you. We'll hold you under till we think you won't sin anymore, and then we'll bring you back up. <laughs> it's okay, the scriptures say he will quicken your mortal body, so it's all right. We hold you under a little too long. He'll bring you back to life. We'll trust him. How many of y'all are going to show up to baptism service now just because you're like, I just want to see that happen? Okay, so, so, so th this is the message. This is our message. This is the message we proclaim. And here's, here's the weird part about this for me as a preacher. This is the part that makes me uncomfortable. You, you have to hear that message. Like I said, he will send people to you to, to, to testify to you about that. And yet, you can't live off of somebody else's testimony. You might be married to a believer, that's not enough. You might be, your best friend might be a believer, that's not enough. Your grandma might be a believer, it's not enough. You might be a young person in the room right now with a horrible drug problem. Your parents drug you to church every Sunday. That's not enough. Just sitting in this building is not enough for you. You have to have your own encounter with Jesus. And that's exactly what these people do. That's exactly what happens to these Samaritans. They, they hear her testimony, amen? They heard her. But they, they actually, catch this please, they had, to, they had to leave their town and go meet Jesus. They, had to, they left the city and they came to Jesus. Both of these things are important. I feel like this is a truth that I've actually honestly been, been called by God to teach. It seems really simple, but I feel like constantly he's bringing it up as I teach. And, and it's this simple truth. You ready? If I'm here and I wanna go there, I have to leave here to get there. You see, I think, I think in our modern society, I'm just being honest, this is, this is at least what I, I see, and even, honestly, the part of me that relates to this, I, I even struggle with this. I wanna get there, but I don't wanna have to leave here. So I, <laughs> I blame that for not being here. No, I, I, can't, I can't go somewhere else without leaving where I am. And so listen, Jesus loves you enough to send you people to where you are. 
See, the, the, the way that the, the previous covenant that we were under with, with God, the, the covenant of the Old Testament, it was a come and see type of covenant where, where there, were this, there was this set apart people that were isolated and separated. And if you wanted to know, know what they were all about, you had to come and see, you had to go there. But the covenant we're under is a go and tell covenant. Some of y'all are here because those of us that are in that covenant have gone and told you. Come on, they've given you an invite, invitation card. Maybe you got a door hanger on your, on, your, on your house. Maybe you were messaged on Facebook or text message or just somebody invited you and you came. That's the kind of covenant that we are in now. We go and tell. But there is still an element where you've got to leave where you are to come and see. And so, so they, they left the city and they came to Jesus See, Jesus, this is, this is how good he is. He'll call you out of the chaos and the confusion and the hustle and the bustle and the noise of life, and he'll call you out to meet him outside of all of that. Come on, somebody. How many of you know we, we serve a good God who loves us, and he calls us out of the noise, out of confusion, and he brings us to himself, and he brings us to him. Because you see, the gospel is more than no hell. I'm going to say that again. The gospel is more than no hell. But also, the gospel is more than get to go to heaven. See, I, th I think, in mod and honestly, I think in the modern church, we've sort of got this whole idea that, that the gospel isn't just about not going to hell. Oh, no, yeah, we get to, we get to go to heaven. I, listen, I'm going to be totally, lay it all out. I'm super happy I don't have to go to hell. Like, I mean, like, woohoo! Like, I, I'm jacked on that. I'm also very excited to get to go to heaven. That's, that seems like way better option. Come on, I've been to restaurants in the 80s. The non-smoking section is way better than the smoking section. So, um, everybody under 30 was like, what, there's smoking section? I don't understand. Um, you used to be able to smoke in restaurants because we didn't care if you died. Um, also, anybody who ever went to a restaurant with the smoking section knew that the whole place was the smoking section, <laughs> right? Um, what was I talking about? So it's not just, it's not just a no go to hell, but it's also, and I mean this, it's not just about going to heaven. The gospel is about life. The gospel is about life. So Jesus calls them out to meet with them. He, he meets them where they are, but, but, but he's trying to get them to recognize that the gospel is about life. It's not about death, it's about life. So he calls them to himself. He, he wants to meet them where they are. And now, now please, please hear me what I'm about to say, because this is, this is important to not miss the point of what I'm about to say. They came to him in a crowd, right? They came to him in a crowd, but they had to meet him personally. They came to him in a crowd, but, 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 but they had to meet him personally. You, you, you can come to Jesus in a crowd, but you're gonna have to meet him one-on-one. -on -one. I know it's similar to what I just said, but you, 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 you can't live off somebody else's faith. You can't live off of somebody else's encounter. Here's the amazing part. This is what I really want you to hear. Jesus loves you too much to encounter you through somebody else. He wants to encounter you personally. He wants to meet with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants to have that face-to-face -face encounter with you individually. So, so I say that this is important because this sort of gathering, you can meet Jesus in this kind of gathering. 
I believe with all my heart, some of you are meeting him right now, maybe for the first time or maybe for the 5,000th time, but you're meeting him right now, and that's a good thing. Everybody say good thing. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to meet with Jesus in a crowd. But it's not enough. It's not enough. You've got to have your own personal encounter with Jesus. Testimony isn't enough. You've got to hear for yourself. Church isn't enough. You see, Jesus is not just for Sunday mornings. Jesus isn't just for prayers before bed. Jesus wants to have an abiding relationship with you in every moment of every day, in all the circumstances, in all the situations, in the ups and in the downs, all of it. He abides with us. That's what the scriptures tell us. He abides with us. All that he did that we read in Romans about how he bore our sin and made us made a way and was, was both the just and the justifier, all, all of these amazing things, it wasn't, it wasn't just so you wouldn't go to hell. It wasn't just so you could go to heaven. It's so you could be with him. You. Not your grandma, not your neighbor. You. So that you could be with him. He desires to offer us devotional consistency, catch this please, and unbroken intimacy. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. The Bible does not teach what it seems to be what seems to be being taught by a lot of Christians, which is that, you know, God will be close to you sometimes and not close to you other times. The Bible actually says that, that, that he will never leave you or forsake you. The Bible says that he will be with you always. The Bible says that there is an anointing that abides. The Bible says that you actually become the very, the very place that the Spirit of God dwells. He lives in you all the time. He offers to us a devotional consistency, an unbroken intimacy, personally. Look, I love the crowd. I, lo I love gathering together. This plays a vital role in the health and the life of a believer. That's why I say I gotta be, we gotta be careful with the way we hear this because here's, here's what can happen. Here's what can happen. I, my wife and I were, 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 were pastors for youth and young adults for about 12 years, and so I heard a lot of college students pitch this line at me. You know, man, it's just me and Jesus, and that's all I really need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. <laughs> See, I can prove to you that there is a God and that he still does miracles, because I didn't murder one of those kids. <laughs> Thought about it. Um have some really awesome email responses to some of the emails I got pretty much saying that. No, the, the Bible actually says that when we become believers, when we put our faith in Christ and we repent and believe the gospel, the Bible actually says that he grafts us into the body of Christ. We become a part of the body of Christ. Okay, catch this imagery here for a second. Jeremy, Jeremy a few weeks ago preached an amazing message on this, but just catch this imagery for me for just a second. Let's, let's pretend like you're a really big deal in the church and you're like a hand, right? How many of y'all appreciate the fact that you have a hand? How many appreciate that you might even have two of them? It's pretty great, right? It's awesome. And, and how many of you know that if, if you cut off your hand, 
that would be a, a, a that would make life a little bit more difficult for the rest of the body. Amen. Right, like that, that would not be a, a chosen uh, operation that I would choose to volunteer myself to go into. Like, who would like a hand amputation? Like, mm, nope, I'll skip that one. But as difficult as it would be for, for me to, to have either one of my hands cut off, it would be far worse for the hand. I would still live. The hand, we hope not. I'm just, the hand's not gonna make it. What I'm trying to say is this, the church can exist without you, but you cannot exist without the church. Ouch, he's mean. Um, I know, but I love you. See, we, 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 we can exist as a body without certain parts. We'll be limited, we won't be able to be all we're called to be. And see this, oh, I'm gonna go here. This is the problem. See, see, the hand goes like, I don't wanna be a part of the body anymore, and then falls off, and then, and then the hand as it's like dying and shriveling up, goes like, why doesn't the church do more? I love you. I just, why is he doing this when I brought my friend? Um, <laughs> thought you'd be nicer today. Nope. Okay, so... Where was I? Come to him in the crowd. You gotta meet him in, in, in person. And then this, this is just amazing to me. This is absolutely fantastic to me. They, they recognize, they, they see, they perceive, and they proclaim the reality of who Jesus is and why he came. His mission and his intent. They're the ones that get to declare this thing to everybody. In fact, I'm gonna, this is just side note, Bible teaching moment here for a second. I think this statement in verse 42 is the whole reason we have this whole account. When they say, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know what? That this is indeed the savior of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world. That's a good place for Christians to say amen. <laughs> Thought I was mean before. Um, th this, is, this is, I think, the, re the whole reason why Jesus left, listen, why he left this success he was having in Galilee or sorry, in Judea, and was going to Galilee, why he went to Samaria, why he talked to this woman. No, I'm gonna back up. Why he left heaven, why he came to earth, why he called disciples, while he built a ministry, why he left that ministry, why he left Judea and came to Samaria, why he talked to the woman, why he sent her back into the town to tell all the people, why he called them out to him, was all so they could make this one declaration so you could hear today. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. He's the one. They see it and they say it. I love that because don't miss this. These are not the people that anyone would have picked to be the ones to see and say that Jesus is the Savior of the world. These are, this is the wrong group. This is the wrong people. This is not the Jewish people. These are the people that have their worship wrong, they have their lifestyles wrong. These are those people. And those are the ones that Jesus comes to choose to reveal himself to. This little town, this little city, this little village, this little handful of people. 
Now, real quick, I want to just walk through this because I need I need to make sure I need to I need to eddy out here from from the from the preaching here for a second and just teach a little bit so that we can get down to something that's a little bit lower than surface level. Okay, Jesus is the Savior, the Savior. Okay, what 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 we got we got to unpack this sentence here for a second. He's the Savior. What that means is he's singular. He's the only Savior. There's, there's not like option B. It's not like pick Jesus or you can pick whatever. No, he's the Savior. He's the singular Savior of the world. The Bible tells us very clearly that there is no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus only. He's it. So these people recognizing it, that they're saying, like, wow, it's, 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 it's not what we thought it was going to be. And catch this, realize this. The, these people were not a part of the system that Jesus was a part of. So even though he came from a different system, from a different race, from a different background, from a different culture, they still went, no, 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 this is the Savior. He's the Savior. Singular. He's the Savior. He's the Savior of what? My life? No, of the world. Now, this, this is super important that we catch what this means. It does not mean that what some people try to claim it means. It's not a verse for universalism. That, well, everybody's saved because Jesus is the Savior of the world. No, what it means is he's the singular savior, savior for all people in the world. There's no other means by which any individual, regardless of race, religion, background, creed, or color, can come into faith and right relationship with God except through Jesus. So by saying the world, it's saying all people from all places have to come through Jesus. It's part of why I read to you Romans 3, because it says, look, there's no difference in any of us. All of us have fallen short of the standard. We've all were born into rejection and rebellion of, uh, against God. The only hope for us is to be born again out of rejection and rebellion in God and in right relationship with God. That only happens through being born again, and that only happens through repentance and belief. And so when, when they say Jesus is the Savior of the world, what they're saying is he is the only Savior for everybody. Are you, are you tracking with me on that? It's not everybody just gets saved because of what Jesus did, but he made a way for all people to get saved. That's why we preach the gospel to everybody. I said that's why we preach the gospel to everybody. Not just the people we like, not just the people that we want to get saved, not just the people, oh, oh, come on, not just the people that are essentially already good Christians, they just need to believe in Jesus. <laughs> See, by, by saying that Jesus is the Savior of the world, what they're saying is this, Jesus did not come, come on, for, for, for well-behaved, come on, upper-middle-class white Republicans that live in a nice neighborhood and come from a good family. He came for everybody. Come on, he came for everybody. Jesus is the savior of the world. But it also means this. It also means that, that Jesus doesn't just save my Sunday. Jesus doesn't just save my, my now I lay me down to sleep before I go to bed prayers. Jesus doesn't just save my devotional time in the morning the 2.3 times a week I have it. <laughs> Jesus saves the world. He redeems everything. 
He's not just interested in, in, in ransoming a handful of people and then just letting the rest kind of, letting everything else in creation just sort of uh, crash and burn and fizzle out and be done with it. No, the Bible tells us just a few verses earlier in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, when Jesus comes and Jesus brings salvation, and when we recognize that, we see that he redeems everything. I think this is, this is why it's so important. They beg him to stay, right? He stays for two days, but he leaves after they get this. Because now they recognize, wait, wait, he's redeemed everything. He can go and he's not actually gone. Because his redemptive work is now taking root in our city and it's gonna transform everything. It's, it's, its roots are gonna go out everywhere and it's gonna slowly bring about a transformation to every single place. So no area of my life is without him. He's not just for Sunday, he's not just for Monday, he's not just, he's for all of it. He's not just for a season, he's not just, well, you know, while my kids are in the house, we'll go to church so the kids can have some good morals. I'm gonna just let you know right off the bat, we are not interested in helping you have good kids. There's a good way to grow a church. <laughs> Number one thing that they tell you in church growing school is, is have good kids ministry. Listen, we have, I'm, I'm gonna say this, and I mean this with all of my heart, I've been to churches, all of us, we have a world-class kids ministry here that is not interested in the least in making your kids good. We're interested in teaching your kids how to be godly. Good kids, listen to me, good kids don't embarrass you in public. Godly kids call you on your stuff in private. Hello. Hey dad, why are we watching this? I don't know, don't tell the pastor. Right, like it's, it's well, we're interested in raising up godly kids, amen? who follow Jesus, who lay it all down for him. Somebody found out recently, my, my daughter's not planning on going to college, she's planning on doing an internship program at a church, and somebody said, are you disappointed? I said, why in the world would I be disappointed? Well, don't you want her to go to college, get it good for you? What if she, what if, tell you, this is what the person showed me, what if she wants to be a missionary? I said, we'll give her all the money she needs, we'll send her out to the mission field. What if it's to a dangerous place? I said, I'm gonna cheer her on the whole way she goes. Because I didn't raise her to be good, I raised her to be godly. And thankfully, while I screwed that up real good, her mom fixed all the stuff I messed up. So, um, so she's turning out okay. People that are clapping know that that's not even a little bit exaggeration in my case. People are like, oh, he's so sweet. Everyone who knows me is like, no, he's just being honest. They recognize Jesus as the savior of everything, amen? So here's where we come down to. Here's where I close. You've been invited, catch this please, into a personal, significant, ongoing, world-transforming encounter with the real Jesus. That's the invitation. So you, 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 you showed up this morning, thought you were just getting an invitation to church, but it's way more than church. You showed up this morning thinking you were just getting an invitation to a barbecue, it's way more than a barbecue. See, it's a better deal than you thought it was. A personal, come on, you. I'm not talking about the person who brought you. I'm not talking about your grandma. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about your kid. I'm not talking about that person you really think should be hearing this right now. I'm talking about you. A personal, he wants to meet you personally. And not just some sort of little flippant whatever, but significant. Come on, where he genuinely, really in intimacy meets you. And not just one time, but that relationship actually, actually begins to grow and transform to where, come on, if it's, if it's anything like the encounter I had, to where you're not going to be able to think about anything else. 
I remember especially, come on, in the early days, when, when I was just walking with the Lord, when I was just beginning to, I had a job, and I used to have to sneak away into a, a little storage room in the back of the, of the, of the store where I was working because I was just crying because I couldn't believe that God loved me so much. Come on, that's the kind of ongoing encounter he wants to have with you. And not just one that it's kind of nice and it's ongoing and you start attending church every Sunday. We really think you should. It's really good. It's, it's like this every week. And um, less barbecue, but, um, <laughs> but maybe that's the ministry that you're gonna start is the weekly barbecue. Well, happily, you can join and pay for it. Um, <laughs> but it transforms the world. It transforms everything. Transforms everything about your world and he invites you to be a part of him transforming the entire world. And it's with the actual real Jesus. Come on. Come on, it's, it's good because he's good. And so my simple question to you is what, what, are, you, what are you gonna do about it? That's, that's the invitation. What are you gonna do about it? Let's stand to our feet. We're gonna shift now into our response. We believe that we respond to Jesus. We we. We respond, we meet Jesus. The way we respond to that call, that message is through the simple act of, of, of repentance and belief. Now let me just unpack that because those are words that maybe we don't always use or don't use in the proper context. Repentance simply means this, to admit and abandon. So all those things that we talked about, that rejection and rebellion against God, it's admitting it once and for all. It's admitting that, you know what, I have chosen to do things my own way. I have chosen to, to make a, a choice for myself what I believe is right, what I believe is wrong, and do what I think is right, and not do what I think is wrong. I, and, and it's admitting that those things, come on, have left you hollow and empty, that they make promises that they never keep. It's about admitting that and then just simply abandoning it, letting it go, and then turning in belief. Belief is simply this, it's embracing Jesus. It's, it's letting go of all of this stuff and grabbing a hold of him. It's, it's, it's crying out to him for forgiveness. It's crying out to him for, for connection. It's crying out to him for a restored relationship. It's being united with him, come on, in death and in burial and in new life. It's not about joining a church. It's not about getting religion. It's not about changing your, your, your moral standings on things. It's about a new life. Jesus actually says that you have to be new to be in relationship with him. The you that is here now cannot be in relationship with God. He says we have to become new. So we have to be born again. We have, to, we have to go through this process like a butterfly, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, becoming something we did not used to be. And we do that by repentance and belief. So as we transition now into our response, we set aside time every week. We believe that as we hear God's word, we ought to respond to God's word, amen? And we do that here in three primary ways. We, we do it through through, through contemplation, through celebration, and through communion. Through contemplation, we, we want to give you. I said Jesus wants to, wants to call us out of the chaos of life. This is one of those moments he wants to give you called out of the chaos of life. To just take a second to pause, to stop, 
to wait and to just think about, to meditate, to ponder, to pray, to see if he might speak to us in the still small voice of the silence. We also respond through celebration. We're gonna sing, we're gonna celebrate because we believe that he's a God worth celebrating, amen? He's a savior worth singing about. He's a God worth glorifying. And then communion. We, we do communion in two ways. I'll, I'll talk about the, the more common communion way in a moment, but one of the ways we have communion with God is, is through our connection to the body. And so we have some people who would love to stand with you and pray with you. They're gonna be meeting down. You see there's some lights on back here behind these people. We, we, we do prayer there so that you can have some privacy. We've got a team of people who are just way better than you and they're happy. No, they're not way better than you. Okay, for me, some of them might be somewhat better than some of you, but um, that's not why they're over there though. They're over there because they love Jesus and Jesus has touched their life and changed their life and they just love being used as an instrument to bring that change to other people. And they don't have magic powers and they don't have magic words, but they would love the opportunity to stand with you and pray with you. Maybe you're here and, and you need to do that repent and believe thing that I was talking about. They'd love to, to, to lead you through that, to help you through that. Maybe you're just going through something in life and, and, and life is just crazy. Maybe you've got a, a relational issue, financial issue, a physical issue in your body, an emotional issue in your heart or mind. They would love the opportunity to stand with you and pray with you. And here's the thing, not just so you feel better, but so that God can move miraculously on your behalf. We believe that as we pray, God responds. So they would love to stand with you and pray with you. So that's one of the ways we offer communion was we sing and celebrate. You're welcome to just make your way and, and, and go back there and find somebody. Listen, sometimes I'm gonna be honest, the line gets long over there. Just wait, they will not leave until you've been prayed for. If you want prayer, we wanna pray for you. But the other way that we celebrate communion is through the communion of the Lord's table. And, and I just felt this morning, I don't know why even, we don't always read this, but I really felt like we ought to just read what the Bible tells us about communion. Because here's what I want you to hear. This is not a religious observation for us. This is not just some tradition that we do. We don't just kind of do communion because it's what Christian, you know, it's, like, yeah, it's just kind of what we, no. We do it because we believe it's life-giving. It's something Jesus called us to do. And it's a place, it's one of the places that Jesus meets his people. So we call believers, we call Christians every week to come forward and take communion by the method known as intiction, where we take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. We also have gluten-free wafers at every station and we have a completely gluten-free station over here. And so you come forward, take a piece of bread or, or wafer, dip it in the juice and partake. And, and this is something that Christians are called to do. So if you're not a Christian, if you, if you have not repented and believed, listen, you're welcome to be a part and hang out here as long as you want, but we're not gonna ask you to pretend to be a Christian and come forward and take communion. So once we go back into celebration and singing, you're just welcome to come forward for the believers and, and partake in communion as you feel led. But I, I wanted to turn our attention to the scriptures this morning and just read to us the biblical call for why we do this the biblical reason for why we take communion. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna move into our response and I would encourage you to just take some time and examine your heart, examine your life. And then as you do so to come forward, take communion, make use of the prayer team, lift your voice in singing, cry out to him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the way that you meet us. And we thank you for the way that you come and you call us to yourself. I thank you that you you use people to bring us to you, but you're not satisfied with us having a relationship with you through another person. Not a, not a priest, not a rabbi, not a pastor, not a friend, not a parent. You want to know us personally. So Jesus, I ask right now that you would continue to just stir in the hearts of people. God, whether that's somebody here who, who knows you and is just sort of let that personal intimacy sort of slip out of their sight. Would you woo them? Would you call them? Would you engage them once again? Whether that's the one here this morning that doesn't know you. They've never, they've never known you. They've never really walked with you. And as they begin to feel you work, as they begin to sense your presence stirring inside their soul, God, would you just grant to them repentance and faith and the boldness to accept that gift. God, for the one here who maybe has walked with you in the past, they've had a relationship with you, but man, that, 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 is, a, that is a long time ago. And they think they're disqualified and they think that their time has passed. God, would you just reveal to them right now in this moment that while they tried to leave you, you never left them. And as hard and as fast as they've run away from you, you are stronger and you are faster. And as they finally tucker out this morning and as they finally breathe their last, you overtake them. They don't have a road to walk back to you because you've been chasing them this whole time. God, move in this moment. Let us hear you, let us see you, let us respond to you. In Jesus' name, church, let's respond to the Lord.